Hi everyone, and welcome to House Calls with Dr. K. Today is Throwback Thursday, and today we're visiting a very special episode from season one. My discussion with Dr. Chase Coffey, titled A Second Surge from an Attending Physician's Perspective. This episode included an in-depth discussion about the COVID-19 surge we were experiencing last July. However, even today, we are still seeing the impact on our hospital patients and physicians in 2021 in our current surge. Dr. Coffey's words of wisdom truly apply today, and today we have the hope of the vaccine. So please take a listen, and thank you, Dr. Coffey. Hi, I'm Dr. Kishishin, and welcome to our podcast series, PPE, Podcast for Psychoeducation During the COVID-19 Pandemic. I'm joined by Dr. Chase Coffey from the Department of Internal Medicine. Dr. Coffey is the Associate Chief Medical Officer at LACUSC Medical Center. Hi, Dr. Coffey. Hey, good afternoon. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. Today, we're going to discuss a few different topics, but specifically how the COVID-19 pandemic has affected hospitals, what everyone needs to know about the second wave we are currently facing, and what does the current climate mean for individuals considering going back to work? So Dr. Coffey, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, so I am a internist by training, and I uh, have specialized in taking care of patients in the hospital. We call ourselves hospitalists. And so I uh, am helping a great deal with the physicians and nurses on the front lines of providing care of patients in the hospital. Um, my non-clinical role is helping the hospital um, do its job and do it well. And so I help serve as one of the senior physician leaders. And I work very closely with all the disciplines in the hospital, everybody from nursing to clerical staff to respiratory and physical therapists, to try to make sure that the right care is delivered to the right patient at the right time. Um, and uh, as safely as possible. Thank you. So as a hospital administrator, you have a good deal of insight into what's going on currently. Can you describe what it's like at the hospital right now? Yeah, um, it, times are tense. Um, the hospital is stretched. Our resources are being stretched to the max. Um, and, and more importantly, our hospital staff is stressed and tired. Mm -hmm. uh, we are all feeling anxious both about our own health and well-being, uh, about our families, um, about schools and businesses reopening, and you feel that it's palpable when you go onto the onto the wards and you talk with people on the front lines. You you feel that sense of fatigue and of worry uh, that we don't know how this is going to end. We don't know when it's going to end. Right. And we we don't know when the next shoe is going to drop. Is there going to be a third wave or a fourth wave? Uh, are we going to run out of testing or PPE? Um, are we going to have to open more ICUs or close ICUs? There's so much unknown um, that is causing a lot of uncertainty, which weighs on the added burden of taking care of these very sick patients. I'm sure that that burden is also on your shoulders. How do you think that you're coping with this? Well, th th thank you for asking. It, it is um, it's, it's hard. Uh, you know, operationally, you try to basically be a duck. Mm -hmm. You try to be calm on the surface and then paddle like hell underneath and just <laughs> keep up. Uh, the conditions on the ground change 
frankly, minute to minute, hour to hour. Our hospital can be doing fine at one minute, and then all of a sudden, three nurses are out sick, or we just got a influx of patients, and now the ICU is, is stretched to the max, and we have to make rapid changes. Um, so it, is, it, it really takes a lot of uh, hard work and um, learning as you go to keep up. Um, you know, in, interpersonally, it's, um, it's been challenging as well, of course, because I'm having to maintain my own composure and balance while at the same time helping out others. And by others, it's not just in the hospital, it's helping out my in-laws, my parents, my kids. Um, my wife is a physician as well, and so how we are managing this with two physicians being exposed, how do we handle our kids at home, what do we do with our, our aging parents? How do we keep everybody safe and, and sound? It's, it, it is uh, it's a very stressful time for a lot of people. Thank you for saying that. I think it's, you mentioned a lot of different things. One is your role as an administrator and keeping the hospital going and keeping cool and control so you can make the decisions that everybody needs you to make. But also the fact that you're struggling internally within your own family and your own dynamics, and this is just kind of a di dichotomous situation a lot of us find ourselves in. Yep. And as an internal medicine doctor, when you're treating a lot of patients in the hospital who have COVID, uh, can you tell us a little bit about what that's like? Yeah, I'm happy to. Uh, so I, uh, my focus is non-ICU types of patients. So I will see patients ad admitted to the hospital for any number of reasons whether it's heart congestive heart failure or a hip fracture or COVID pneumonias that aren't requiring uh, patients to be in the ICU. So um, in some respects, it's like any other day, mm. right? We are, are seeing our seasonal uh, trends of admissions for the routine medical illnesses like heart failure, like traumas. Um, uh, but yet we're also seeing this influx of patients with COVID pneumonia. And the, the extra burden of donning and, and removing the protective equipment that we have to wear, for every patient, it takes us an extra 10 minutes or so to provide care. Yeah. And when you're stretched and fatigued and you feel like you have no time to rest or catch your breath, uh, you know, every minute counts. And so those added burdens of the, uh, taking care of patients who need that special precautions is, is tough. And then on top of it, you're worried about how you are going to maintain your safety and composure when you go into the into the rooms of patients. And so you're trying to very be very careful, um, keeping yourself clean and safe, but yet you also don't want to uh, prevent yourself from doing the things that make us doctors: holding hands, touching on shoulders to give to give comfort, doing a good physical exam making sure that we don't blame every symptom on COVID and mm. not miss other illnesses that in fact are, are present. Um, and then you, it's, it's provided this extra layer of complexity with how we get patients safely out of the hospital, right? So how do we make sure that patients uh, are able to go home safely? They have all their medications. If they need oxygen, how do we get that set up? A lot of our patients have no resources or yeah. our patients have no place to go afterwards. And so how do, we, how do we do good, safe, effective care in the setting of less resources and a global pandemic that nobody's ever seen before? Um, 
So it's, it can, every day is a new day with the challenges we face, both from a systems perspective and from a type of patients we see. Um, but the, the, the fascinating thing for me is this feeling of it's the new normal. You know, we, as a case in point, you know, we would get worried when we had 30 or 40 patients in our hospital with COVID. Uh, we now hit a new high of 115 this Monday. Wow. And frankly, we, we didn't bat an eye. Um, we're used to it now. We've acclimated, uh, but we are experiencing the sort of we, the analogy we use is the bathtub is just continuing to fill with water. Mm-hmm. And unless we can turn off that spigot, you know, the, the drain can only open so much and the, and the water can come out of the tub only so fast. We have to close down the influx somehow. So I guess speaking about that, what do you think is the worst case scenario that we're trying to avoid and how can we attempt to avoid it? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, certainly the, the worst case scenarios are anything that brings in more patients or provides more stress on our, our system. It's really a supply demand mismatch. So whether it's more patients coming in because of traumas, because of flu, which is coming soon, yeah. because of worsening COVID, or it's, it's a loss of our staff because of illness or fatigue or burnout uh, or worse, suicide, right? Um, either of those factors will cause an undue amount of stress on us. And so we're really trying very hard to support our staff as much as we, as we can. And thanks in large part with, with your department, the psychiatry folks offering the, the 30 minute sessions, uh, you know, our, our helping healers heal work has really been instrumental, uh, trying to keep our patient, our, our um, staff as safe and healthy as possible making sure they take vacations, uh, <laughs> right? We all need it. And uh, at the same time, trying to keep our patients safe and healthy at home. You know, one of our guiding principles has been making sure we keep the worried well at home. And if we are, if people are sick, getting them into the right level of care as quickly as possible. It may not mean that they have to come to the ER, but could we set up a video visit or a phone call to assess whether or not they even need to come in? So looking at innovative ways to keep people um, away from the health, uh, uh, getting the right care that they need, but not necessarily at the hospital or at the emergency department, or frankly, even at the clinic. Thank you for mentioning that. I think a lot of people are afraid of going to the hospital at this time. So understanding that there are a lot of different options available and being in communication with your healthcare team is the best way to make these decisions. Absolutely. We're, We're trying new things every day to meet our patients where they need us. And in fact, we're seeing an incredible adoption of televisits or phone visits by our primary care patients. And, and actually, they're, they're enjoying it more. Yeah. They don't have to fight parking. They don't have to wait in line. They don't have to go through all the rigmarole of checking in. Um, they're actually really liking the experience. It's, uh, we've been really happy with um, our primary care office's ability to adapt on the fly with this. That's great. Well, what about this common misconception that, um, you know, COVID is not that dangerous and that it might be better if everyone was just exposed quickly and just kind of get it over with. What do you think about that? Yeah, I I wish that was true. I wish we could just rip off the Band-Aid, everybody get a a mild cold for a week and we'd be done. Um, What we're seeing right now, early results of, of studies are showing that herd immunity uh, which is really the argument we're talking about here is uh, herd immunity is 
um, a dangerous play, and, and here's why. Early studies on patients who have been exposed and infected by COVID and have developed antibodies um, are showing that these patients uh, lose their antibodies over weeks to months. And in fact, many of your listeners may have watched the Tom Hanks interview last week on NBC uh, News. In fact, he said the same thing. He's getting tested for antibodies every week. And in fact, his antibody level is dwindling. Yeah. So that gives us call, pause for concern that in fact, he is now uh, still at risk for COVID infection, despite the fact that he even had COVID. The other, and, and frankly more um, concerning argument is, if we were to take that herd immunity approach, that is getting everybody exposed to the virus and having everybody develop the antibodies to the virus so that they could, they could maintain resistance towards it, is still gonna result in a lot of people getting very, very sick. Right. And in fact, a lot of people dying. Even if you were to estimate a 1% mortality rate, if two million people became infected or the 10 million people in LA County became infected, we'd see a lot of unnecessary death and, and, and uh, harm to patients. And we don't want that. If this was your kid or your, or your loved one, you wouldn't want them to be one of that, one of those individuals who fell ill. So why do you think knowing all of that, why do you think right now we're seeing a second wave despite the previous lockdown efforts? Yeah. Uh, you know, humans are, are tricky tricky individuals, right? I mean, the, the sense of freedom, uh, the need to connect interpersonally um, is very tough. And you know, frankly, we've, we've lost some of our discipline. Uh, we've become a bit emboldened uh, by some of our early um, successes at, at keeping the virus away from us. And we lost sight. Uh, and, uh, you know, I've, I've no doubt uh, Governor Newsom and our uh, local leaders were doing the best that they can to maintain community safety while at the same time trying to allow the economy to reopen because there are extreme problems with people right now losing housing, losing their jobs and income, not being able to afford their medications, their food, uh, getting childcare. So we're between a huge rock and another huge rock. Yeah. Uh, and so I, you know, we were trying to thread the needle on this and um, as we tried to reopen, uh, we got a little bit loose on our focus on wearing masks and keeping distant and, and taking a bit more risks than we needed to. So that's interesting because exactly what you're talking about, things change so quickly. And this time last week, we were talking about many different businesses opening and individuals being asked to return back to work and getting prepared to return back to work. And now things may have changed in that regard, but some people are being asked to return back to work. What recommendations might you have for these people? You know, the, the bottom line is there's not a one-size-fits-all approach to this, mm -hmm. and individuals are going to have to make their own decision, um, both about how much risk you take in terms of going to the supermarket, in terms of going back to work, uh, going and visiting family, and letting your kids back to school. So the first question you really have to figure out is, what is your own individual risk of catching COVID and the consequences of that? So if you are young and, and, and healthy, you generally stand less risk of, of having a severe infection. But as we're seeing, 18 to 40 year olds are catching COVID much faster than the older population right now. Yeah. Um, what you need to really understand is if I were to catch it, 
Um, are there other underlying medical conditions that make me at risk for having a really bad experience with COVID? Do you have hypertension? Do you have diabetes? Are you obese? Are you a smoker? Um, not just of cigarettes, but of other substances, marijuana, et cetera. Um, do you have other underlying conditions that would put you at risk for um, worse outcomes with a COVID infection? So that's step number one. What, what is your risk level? Then you've got to figure out what are the ways that what are the ways um, that the place you're going to, be it a school or a job or a, you know, a, a grocery store, is mitigating risks of you catching something. So if you if you're being asked to return to work, what's the distancing policy? Are you sitting elbow to elbow, or can you sit six to twelve feet apart? Mm -hmm. Do they have plexiglass between you and other folks? Uh, are they requiring you to wear a mask, which they probably should, right? Um, are they limiting the ability to share food and sit in common spaces? Uh, all of those things will help show you the, as the individual whether or not the, the job is taking steps to mitigate your risk. And then the third point is how are you going to mitigate your own risk? Um, are you wearing a mask? Can you wear a mask all, the whole time while you're at work? Um, are you able to you know, wash your hands? Are you able to, to maintain your distance? And, um, or, uh, or can you limit your exposure to talking face-to-face -face with other people? How many uh, telephone meetings can you do? All of those elements can add up to a risk assessment that each individual needs to do about everything from, do I go to the store today or do I go back to work or do I send my kids to school? So, you know, work, working from home or, or working as far away from people is ideal, if at all possible. And so if you can, if you can do that, if your job affords you the opportunity, you know, please, please do that as much as you can. And then when in doubt, speak to your boss and speak to your HR representative about your concerns. And, and now is not the time to be shy about what you're worried about, what you're fearful of, what your, um, uh, how your underlying health and well-being may be affected by this decision to return to work. Thank you. Yeah, I think during this time, we've all been forced to be a little bit more creative mm -hmm. and find different solutions to problems. And sometimes it's just as simple as it might be easy for me to knock on the guy next door and have a meeting face to face, but maybe that's not the right idea. Maybe I should just give him a call on the phone. Yeah. And kind and, of, and those are hard habits to break, right? Because right. We're so used to um, going to somebody's desk or uh, standing closer than six feet. It, it's very, it's very difficult. It is. And plus you miss it. So yeah, you miss that human sure. connection. So it's natural. But yep. we have to kind of reframe our mind and restructure and get used to this new way of behaving. Yeah, it is a new normal. Absolutely. Um, in the community, do you think that there's something that we should all be doing above and beyond this to keep others safe and ourselves safe? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, honestly, the, the mantra that you hear Dr. Ferrer from our Department of Public Health, Mayor Grissetti, Governor Newsom talk about, wear a mask, stay six feet apart, stay home as much as you can, wash your hands. Mm -hmm. Those four steps are critical. Uh, and, and frankly, they, they don't cost us anything but discipline. Yeah. Um, 
easy say, hard do, right? Just just like a, a, at dinner time at night when I want a scoop of ice cream after dinner, it's really hard to say <laughs> no dessert tonight, right? It's, uh, you know, discipline is, is quite quite challenging. We've got to find ways to help continue to care for each other. Mm-hmm. And so there are a lot of people who are struggling right now just to make ends meet, just to put food on the plate, just to pay the rent, just to keep the business open or their job open. And we have to uh, find ways to take care of each other. Mm-hmm. You know, knock on your neighbor's, neighbor's door, wear a mask, stand six feet apart, but, but check in on them. Do you have enough to eat? Are you doing okay? Do you need help? Um, there's been some amazing examples of uh, people going grocery shopping for seniors. Um, you know, Mayor Garcetti has a fund for uh, people who can donate to a city fund where the money can be distributed to individuals in need. Um, but we really need to be starting to, to think about once we take care of our, our, our own selves and our loved ones, how do we take care of those around us and make sure we don't lose people for other reasons, be it hunger, um, be it mental illness and suicide, be it um, opiate addiction and, and abuse. So please, whatever you can do to share food, a little bit of money to the LA Regional Food Bank, clothes, whatever you have available, please take a look at that and see what you can do. And then the last thing which, which um, folks may not know or may not be in the forefront of their mind is we need everybody to do their census, to do the 2020 census. It's critical because this is a, a cornerstone uh, by which the state of California and of course the county and city get federal dollars to help for recovery, to help for flu vaccinations, to help for the safety net of our food and, and health system. So please do your census. Um, it is anonymous. No, none of that data is reported to uh, any governing, anybody that is going to um, uh, take action uh, around, say, immunization, immun- immigration status. Uh, so it's really critical that everybody does their census either online or there's a telephone number that you can call as well. The other thing we need to put on people's radar now is get your flu shot. Get your flu shot. Um, we have no idea what a flu and coronavirus infection or co-infection would look like, but our concern is it could be very deadly. And so now we're going to start seeing uh, flu vaccination efforts very soon. At LA County, we're getting our shipment in in the next few weeks. Mm-hmm. And we aim to start get, administering flu shots in uh, by the 1st of September. So please, whether it's at Walmart or CVS or your doctor's office, get your flu shot this year. Can you go over some common myths or reasons why people are scared about getting the flu shot? Yeah. Well, first of all, it can hurt a little bit. It, it does leave you sore in the muscle and the shoulder for a day or two. Um, it, it is, in general, really, really, really well tolerated. Um, there are the rare occasions where people have allergic reactions to it. And so we, uh, after administration of the flu shot, we watch you for a little bit for you know, five to 10 minutes to make sure you don't have an allergic reaction. There are a lot of uh, people who are concerned or report that every time they get the flu shot, they get the flu. Right. Um, you know, that frankly doesn't bear out. 
what is common is that folks who do get the flu shot do can experience a little bit of uh, immune stimulating reaction from the body because that's what the flu shot is intended to do. Right. So you may feel a little bit fatigued or um, uh, you know, like you're starting to come down with the flu. That's a natural experience. The, the most concerning myth around the flu vaccine is that um, this vaccine can cause birth defects and things like autism, and it, it just ain't true. And so we need folks to, to know, know the data, know the science, if you have questions about whether or not you're healthy enough for it, whether or not you should get it, please talk to your primary doctor or uh, a nurse and, and we'll, we'll get you some, some, um, some counsel on it. I really appreciate you talking about that. I think it's really important to mention that because, yeah, flu season's right around the corner and getting the flu shot is a way that you can help yourself and your family yep. and your neighbors yep. and the community. I'll be first in line, let me tell you. I'll be right after you. Okay, good. <laughs> um, before we wrap up, I wonder if you could share a positive experience you've had throughout the past few months and um, how that has affected you personally. Yeah. Um, well, there, there are a number of experiences that have affected me personally. Um, we've seen just remarkable teamwork, collaboration, uh, a spirit of togetherness amongst our our staff here at the hospital, um, the incredible generosity, both in, in donation of food and PPE, and also generosity of spirit from people in our community. Um, you, our, our staff routinely get meals delivered, which is such a, it seems like a little thing, but it means a lot. Or, you know, the eight o'clock phone calls or, or the uh, salute by the firefighters and police, those things do go a long way. Um, so there's, there's a number of those. There are, you know, a number of sad experiences as well. Um, but maybe I, I could, if you wouldn't mind, if I could leave your listeners with um, sort of a bittersweet experience. Okay. Um, this is a patient who's doing well. He survived. He was, became very ill from COVID. He's a young guy. He's my age. He's mm. early 40s. And uh, worked at the Farmer John Meatpacking Warehouse just down the road here. Okay. And as some of your listeners may know, that Farmer John Meatpacking um, Warehouse had an outbreak of COVID a few months ago. Mm. And so he was one of the individuals who, who fell ill. And young guy, otherwise healthy, you would have thought he would have kicked this thing, no, no biggie. Um, spent several weeks in the ICU intubated and, again, survived. Our team did a hell of a job getting him well. Um, but he's so weak from the illness now in a wheelchair he's doing rehab to try to get stronger oh, wow. and he has a family that he couldn't return home to because he was, was again weak so he's in a rehab center trying to get stronger trying to get better so that they can get home to his family and while the the his improvement and his recovery is going to be a journey and I, I believe he's going to get through it that's a positive thing the the what to me is bittersweet about this is um, this is a, this instance is such a poster child of the inequities of COVID thus far, and that it, it impacts our uh, people of color mm -hmm. and our people of lower socio socioeconomic status to a much larger degree than others. And it, 
it illustrates that we have so much work to do as a society to uh, eliminate those inequities. And you know, this gentleman had to go to work so that many of us could have a have hamburgers or a steak yeah. on them. Yeah. Right. And yeah. Um, and he had to go to work because he had to pay rent and support his family. And, and yet he is a gentleman who who is suffering because of the fact that he was at work and, and caught COVID. So um, it just illustrates that we've got a long way to go. Um, but California and L.A. County in particular can be leaders in this and we can we can work to try to remove those inequities, both in, in uh, healthcare, but in, in uh, the economics of life, education, crime, and, and that's really the next, that's what we have to do next. I mean, there, um, health is a, is a cornerstone to that, but we've got to get to the much larger issues of tackling some of these societal uh, inequities. Thank you so much for sharing your story. I think that what it shows is that some people think that it can't happen to me, that it's not going to happen to me. And that's, you know, might be a coping mechanism because you, the fear of it happening to you is too much. But it shows that it can happen to anybody in any situation. The best thing that we can do to help you in the, your work that you're doing is do our part to keep everybody safe. That's right. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you talking to us today. Thank you for having me on. Stay safe, everybody. <laughs>